You're listening to Halford and Bruff. He scores. Number 50, Austin Matthews. And the family loves it here tonight at Mullet Arena. These are really good players here. So teams are calling more and more, asking, are they going to be available? Good morning. Welcome to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I am Jamie Dodd. Still, still filling in for Mike Halford today, who remains on the shelf. Halford & Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal, North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid, 1170 Powell Street. Yeah, Halford was moved to retroactive IR. <laughs> we'll get into the implications of that in a second. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Yeah, we're going to bring Halford back for the start of the playoffs. And yeah. all, all the other radio stations are going to be really ticked off. How is this allowed? Mm-hmm. Guy sits out, has a vacation for a couple months, and then comes back for the playoffs. But we need the $50 in cap space. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Free hey, in, in this business, that can pay for a lot of salaries. Um, A-Dog, Laddie, what's going on, guys? Hello, Good morning. Hello. That was not much going on. Anything else? It was very in unison. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah. Actually, slightly you terrifying. Like a... They're just trained dogs. Yeah. They're like, hello. <laughs> we are happy to be here. <laughs> you guys are a hive mind back there. So we do. Get, get in, get out. I think these hello. songs just create themselves I, back here. I think I think it's weird when, uh, to them, when Dodd looks at you, says morning, good morning, and he means it. Well, also, Halford's trained us to do, we, he, Halford, just to just, you know, Jamie, he goes one at a time. Mm, he says, yeah, yeah. A-Dog, good morning, and I say hello. And then he looks at Laddie and says, Laddie, good morning to you as well. And, and he says, says hello. hello. So it was an administrative issue. Yeah. He didn't do it properly. No, no, no. Right. Dodd did it fine. Oh, he just threw us off because, as Ruff said, I put you guys Dodd actually spot. means what he says. Short, short, <laughs> yeah. I short-circuited the routine. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. What do I do? Oh, no. What do we do? He'd ask you, like, how are you doing? And be like, I'm not prepared for this. Yeah, I spent years in that hello. I'm not trained for this. <laughs> uh, all right. Today on the show, 6.30, Kristen Shilton will join us uh, from ESPN. We'll talk all things NHL with Kristen at 7.30. Ian Furness from uh, KJR Radio and also Fox 13 in Seattle. Canucks play the Kraken tonight, so we can chat with Ian uh, about Seattle's season. I'm sure we can check in on uh, some other Seattle sports stories with Ian as well. At 8 o'clock, my usual co-host, Thomas Drantz will join the show for his regular hit here on Halford and Bruff. At 8.30, what we learned, and today, only one prize on the line after the uh, the two-prize extravaganza it's a good one, yesterday. It's, it's a, a good very one. good one uh, because it is tickets to the Canucks and the Penguins on Tuesday, uh, February 27th. So that's next week. Get to see Sid, get to see Gino, get to see... 
the collapse of the Pittsburgh Penguins continue potentially as Eric Carlson in an ill-fitting role as Kyle Dubas wonders if he's going to sell off half the team here so could be a really interesting one but uh, anytime you get a chance to check out Sidney Crosby play that's pretty special so we'll give away a pair of tickets at 830 in what we learned you can get yours in now, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Include the ticket emoji to be entered to win. Before we do all of that, though, let's talk about what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. No Canucks game. Day off, no skate, no anything uh, for the Canucks yesterday, bruv, but... Still some roster news from the team. Yeah, General Manager Patrick Alvin announced the following roster moves. Uh, Dakota Joshua was placed on retroactive injured reserve next to Halford. Uh, Carson Soucy was placed on retroactive long-term mm-hmm. injured reserve. And Jet Wu was recalled once again from Abbotsford in the AHL. Now, um, I will ask you, which, if any, of these moves could be significant? I think the only really significant one here is Jet Wu coming up. And even that significant might be stretching it a little bit because I understand whenever there's these kind of accounting transactions where guys are being moved either onto IR or from IR to LTIR, Mm -hmm. I think there's always there's I see I see two reactions prominently on social media. One is Oh no, Carson Soucy's had a setback, and that's why they're putting him in LTIR. He's going to be out for a long time. Same with Dakota Joshua. Oh no. And the other is like, oh, they're opening up cap space. They're going to do something. They're going to make a trade here. Almost every response I saw that was related to Soucy going on LTIR was like, it's Chris Tan of time. (laughs) And people wondering if this meant a trade could be coming, but unless they're keeping Susie out for the rest of the regular season, I'm not sure it doesn't that really makes make sense. sense. I think they needed to put Susie on LTI just to get the cap saves to call Jet Wu up, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not sending anyone down mm-hmm. for Wu to replace. So I think it's as simple as, you know what? we need Because you don't get the cap space with a guy just on IR that gets you a roster spot. They need to go on LTI to actually free up the cap space. So I think it's as simple as that. And obviously the fact that they're recalling Jet Wu with only one game left on this road trip strongly suggests that there's a, there's a Canucks defenseman who might not be good to go tonight. Maybe yeah. maybe they'll be able to tough it out, but at least they're looking for some insurance. So I think that's the most significant one. We'll wait and see. When we hear more from the Canucks today uh, ahead of the game, you know, what if they have an update on a player who's in the lineup, who's not. But to me, that's the most interesting thing is that they might have a defenseman who's not good to go tonight. Yeah, Zadorov um, and Juleson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, got a little shaken up yep. in the last game. Both were able to finish the game, but Juleson has blocked a lot of shots in the last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesday in Colorado, the hell, as, as mentioned, the healthy scratches – were Lafferty and Mark Friedman the extra? So they had an extra forward and they had an extra defenseman. Joshua was listed as a scratch as well, but we all know he isn't healthy and now he's on IR. Uh, of course, 
tonight, uh, all eyes will be on the Canucks special teams. And the Kraken don't pose a particularly tough test in that department. Their power play is ranked 17th, and the PK is 18th. Um, is it a slam dunk that our Steve Baines stays in the lineup? I would think so, just yeah. because typically with Tockett and most coaches, but I think especially with Tockett, ice time's a pretty good indicator of who's coming out or who's staying in. Yeah. And the fact that he was playing significantly more late in that game than several other forwards, it would be odd to me to do that and then yank him out of the lineup the next game. So with the issues on the power play and the PK, frankly, now, yep. um, when is the next opportunity for the Canucks to get a good practice in? They had the day off yesterday. Um, it was a travel day. Um, they're going to play tonight, and granted, it's close by in yep. Seattle, so they, they'll be home probably after the game to sleep in their own beds. But would you get a good practice in tomorrow? I suspect they'll practice tomorrow. You think they'll practice tomorrow? I think tomorrow? they'll practice tomorrow. Because um, I was just wondering if they'd have to wait until after the Bruins game on Saturday because then they have Sunday and Monday uh, without games before the Tuesday game against Pittsburgh. Um, I suspect they'll practice as well, too, but that's sometimes when, you know, the coach will be like, these guys are tired. Yeah. They need a day. They need another day off. We have to worry about load management with these guys. And also, they've been on the road again. They need to go and spend some time with their families. I, I don't know, but I, I, I bet Rick Tockett is dying. That's the thing. Dying to have a like practice. Like, all of those factors do way into the decision, but Rick Tockett, I'm sure, is itching to have a practice. And the other thing is, they've got the earlier start on Saturday against Boston, 4 o'clock start, which messes with your normal, if you wanted to do a game day skate, that messes with your normal routine. And Tockett has said he doesn't really like morning skates anyways. Like, it's not a big thing for him. So what I would bet happens is they have a real practice tomorrow, optional, no skate whatsoever, mm -hmm. Uh, against Boston on Saturday, and then you go from there. But I, I think Tockett, with some of the issues we've seen crop up speci specifically on special teams, is going to find a way to get that practice uh, in. Tonight's opponent, the Seattle Kraken, the Kraken are desperate for wins, still very much mm -hmm. alive for the second wildcard spot in the West. They're also rested and coming off a 4-3 OT loss to Detroit at home. It reminds me a bit, or even a lot, of the Minnesota Wild before the Canucks played them, where you've got an okay but not great team with playoff hopes still alive coming off a frustrating home loss. The Wild were coming off an OT loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, prior to the loss to Detroit, the Kraken had finished off a five-game road trip with a win in Boston, and I think they'd beaten the Islanders the game before, so... Really, who knows what to expect from the Kraken? They've been a super streaky team this season. Yep. But overall, uh, uh, A Dog tells me uh, they're what the kids call mid. Mid, yeah, they are. Yeah. They are strongly mid. mid. Yes, they are strongly sure. mid. mid. Like, I, yeah. I, a fellow child. Chances are, it's mid. Chances are, it'll be Joey Decord in goal for the Kraken, and he's probably the main reason the Kraken are even still alive for a postseason yep. berth. He's got really good numbers. Uh, because it's sure not their wealth of superstar skaters. Um, here's a <laughs> here's an interesting question, and mm -hmm. we're not getting cocky. We're not getting cocky here, but this is more just Maybe a conversation a about the Kraken. No, I don't think so. No, not no. the way the Canucks are 
playing right now. Who did, I mean, do you think the Kraken are the favorites tonight? I Probably, bet, right? Uh, I don't think so. I but would, no, no, I no, mean, no, no, no. I'm talking about in your mind. In oh, your no. Mind. I would have the Canucks as the favorites. You would have the Canucks yes. as the favorites? Okay. Yeah. Can I, okay. Can the Canucks are way better than yeah, the Kraken. Yeah. Like, I get it. Rest and all that. That plays into it. Mm. So it's maybe not a huge Road margin, game. But they're still better. They, okay. should, they should win this game. Okay. Jamie, who is the best player on the Kraken? Your candidates include Jared McCann, mm-hmm. Vince Dunn, and... I, is, I mean, Joey Decord this season? Yeah, like Yanni Gord. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. another one that occurred to me when, we, when I was thinking about this. I think it's got to be Vince Dunn, given how important that kind of puck-moving defenseman is in today's game. I'd give it to Vince Dunn. But I think the interesting thing— That's a problem for the Kraken. That's 100%. a problem for the Kraken what I was who just are trying to say, build the a big, fan base. The and... biggest problem is that Matty Beniers is not in this discussion right now. Like, that's what they were counting on coming out of last season when he had a really impressive rookie campaign— they wanted him to see to take that next step, and it looked like he could be, if not, you know, not that he was going to launch into like the superstar level of Maybe NHL Barzell. players, yeah, or like you know, I was thinking like Nick Suzuki, sure, when in some of his best years in Montreal, right, mm-hmm. was like reliable two way center, you know, maybe more of a two C on a on a championship team, but if he's your one C, it's not a complete joke. They kind of wanted him to take that step, and it hasn't really happened for him, and that's a huge problem because. They've got they've taken this really patient approach, right? Okay, we're gonna draft, we're gonna acquire these prospects, we're not in a hurry, we're not trying to replicate what Vegas has done despite the the uh the, the playoff win over Colorado last year. But if Beneers doesn't develop and if he doesn't become a legitimate top of the lineup player, then you're just you're gonna be mid for an awful long time if you don't have that mm-hmm. star talent to push you out of the mid zone. Do you think Shane Wright will be a player for them? I, I've said that I don't think he's going to be a player for them. I'm not hoping that the young man is a draft bust. He's sure sounds like it. Typical 20, 20 years old. Although, yeah, my ego is now tied up in it. <laughs> right? I've had an opinion, and now I hope 20-year-old yeah. Shane Wright does not have a good NHL career. <laughs> but he is still in the HL. I guess he's doing fine there. Um, but this was the fourth overall pick that – you know, a lot of people when he was 16 or 17 year old was like, this guy's the first going to be the first overall pick. And he has not made any impact whatsoever in the NHL yet. I think he'll be an NHL player. But the question is, is he going to be a star? And that's what they need. Like, it's the same thing with Matty Beniers. Matty Beniers is going to play in the NHL for a long time. Mm-hmm. But is he ever going to be a player where you look at it and say, that's one of the two or three best players on a Stanley Cup team, right? And I think it's the same question with Shane Wright. Yeah, Shane Wright's going to play in the NHL, probably have a long career in the NHL, but is it going to be more as a complimentary player than a true star? And if neither of those guys turns into true stars, then Seattle's really back to the drawing board at that point. they got to yeah, figure something out. I for sure, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, Beneers and Wright down the middle, that could be good. It could be good, but it could be mid is the thing. No, yeah, no, no. But like when when people are at their highest of optimism about the Kraken, you know, when they drafted right when he fell to them and they had Beneers coming mm-hmm. off a decent season. Pre-screen. They were like, Oh, this could be this could be a team to be reckoned with and with some star power. And I think uh, especially in a city like Seattle where let's face it, it's not a hockey city. Nope. You know? Not yet at least. It's it's only a few hours away from Vancouver, but it's not a hockey city. It's a football city. It's a it's a it's, I think it's a basketball city. Um, you know, when the Mariners 
are good. They it's, get out of their own way. Baseball, yeah. yeah can be a baseball city, but it's not a hockey city yet. Let's talk about some things that happened in the NHL. Now, I'm going to have to rely on you because uh, I had my own game Mm -hmm. last night. It wasn't in the NHL, but it was close. (laughs) You'll Um, get there one day, buddy. It sounds like uh, there was quite a game in Edmonton between the Bruins and the Oilers. Of course, we're going to see the Bruins in Vancouver on Saturday, but uh, not until the Bruins play Calgary tonight so it'll be equal rest for both teams uh heading into Saturday's game between the Canucks and the Bruins but last night the Bruins came away with a 6-5 overtime win but the Oilers weren't feeling too bad about it I suppose because they fought back from a three-goal deficit to at least get a point yeah they so the Bruins did the Canucks a favor, but only a small favor, right? Because they prevent Edmonton from picking up the two points. So now all of a sudden with this three-game skid, I think Canucks fans looking in the rearview mirror at the other teams in the Pacific a little bit more. So at least Boston prevents the Oilers from getting the full two points. But as you said, they were also up three in the third period, and they blow it and it goes to overtime. So how, so how did that happen? Was that McDavid or... Uh, it was no, actually, it was scoring by by committee. The rare scoring by committee from uh, <laughs> from from the Edmonton Oilers it was Warren Fogle, Matthias Janmark, Corey Perry. Then Boston took the lead again off a of David Posternock goal, uh, and it was Zach Hyman. Now McDavid picked up a secondary assist on that, but really, on those three goals I mentioned, that's the only point that either Drysaddle or McDavid got was one secondary assist on those four goals, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive, uh, showing from the depth. I know Zach Hyman is a top-of-the-lineup player, but other than that, the depth on the Oilers getting it done. Then Charlie McAvoy scored uh, a really, really good goal in overtime to get the Bruins the win. So I guess cancel the parade at Edmonton, right? They failed to dominate another really good team. So they've been revealed as frauds, right? They didn't beat a, a good team. It's right, over. Yeah. They can't possibly win the Stanley Cup, and yeah. uh, there you go. I mean, just look I'm going to make that one clip our video and tag Edmonton. Look, and- <laughs> just look at their record against the Canucks. Yeah, they're on three. They can't even beat. A, they, they, they can't, can't even beat the best team in their division. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know about those Oilers. Um, so the other big news and uh, warning: there's going to be some Leafs talk yep. today. Um, not only did the oil uh, the Leafs win their fifth in a row, so they won all five games of Morgan Riley's suspension. Uh, Austin Matthews hit 50 goals yesterday and added his 51st for good measure. So he now has 51 goals in 54 games, is it? Yes. So we had 6-5 uh, in Edmonton between the Oilers and the between Bruins. Between two Stanley Cup contenders. We had 6-3 for the Leafs over Arizona with Austin Matthews getting his 51st of the season already. He's pretty much locked up the Art Ross trophy. Or not the Art Ross, the Rocket Rocket Richard. Richard. Jinx. Um, And we had a 10-7 game the other day between the Canucks and the Wild. I never thought we'd see scoring like this in the NHL unless there was some, you know, the NHL just was like, we got to get more scoring. We're fine. We'll make the nets bigger. (laughs) Or, you know, fine, we'll... I don't know, no goalie equipment anymore. Like you're not allowed even the big sticks. Mm-hmm. You're just there's just six guys in there. I never thought we'd get there, and I certainly never thought we'd get there so soon. 
it doesn't seem that long ago that we had league average save percentage of 915 and you know if your team scored um <laughs> 300 goals in a season or oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it was like it was like that's incredible yeah the high flying whoever's you know or if you were up two goals it's like it's done yeah done and dusted yes this game is over that's another and that's that's one of the big things we've seen over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we've seen it with the canucks yeah uh, but we've seen it with a lot of but a lot of teams is very few leads are safe now. It, two goals is real, especially if it's early in the game, is really not that daunting for teams to be able to come back from. Um, so why do you think this is? I think a huge part. So now people will point to the increased emphasis on penalties, right? And, you know, refs call the game much closer, the clutching and grabbing, the stick infractions, the hooking, all of that. You take that out of the game, it opens up more space for the skill players. I think that's part of it. But that was that was in the league after now, the lockout. Now, I think, it's, I think it's ramped up. But that's the thing, right? Because you look at one of the most famous scoring bumps in the league was right after the lockout season. Mm-hmm. And Almost two decades scoring was ago. way up. But it was because there was just a parade to the penalty box because they were coming. So it was just all these power play opportunities. The five on five game hadn't changed that much. I think the biggest thing driving it is guys are just way better shooters now. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's more than anything why we're seeing these save percentages plummet. Is uh, goalies are just too lazy to catch up to the scoot the shooting skill adapter die in the league right that's, now. That's no, I, I do think that's a huge part of it. Is guys are better at shooting. I think it's also obviously. I do think. There's a more the the refereeing environment is more favorable to offense right now, but I don't think that's the main cause. I think it's the mm. shooting more than anything else. Yeah, the technology, the stick technology yeah. as well. And the technique. I think shooters yeah. are just smarter the too. They yeah. they've studied goalies. The goalies had a big jump in the early 2000s to kind of 2010, 2015, and I think now we're starting to see the young generation of shooters that know how these goalies play. They know the sharp angle plays where they mm. can hit the top right. corner. So we're just seeing a little bit more of that. It's kind of like been trickling. And now we're just seeing the dam. Do you think more specialist open. skills training with those shooters too? Like absolutely. We were, and and when, other... I, when I when I was playing hockey as a kid, it was like here's a slap shot and here's a wrist shot. <laughs> and well, if you want a snap shot, the smart you thing have is three options. Whoa, 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 whoa! A lot of snap shooters, shot? <laughs> slow down. They're slow actually down. going to goalie camps intentionally. They're learning what the goalies are learning and mm-hmm. shooting at these camps so they can take that into their game and then be able to use it in a game situation and it's paying off. I think there's a tactical thing too from a team perspective, right? Is like we talk to Kevin Woodley all the time about the clear side analytics and you know if it goes if a pass goes cross ice before a shot, like it skyrockets the shooting percentage. So Royal I think teams Road. are way more conscious about don't just fire away from anywhere, right? Yeah. If the goalie's set and there's no screen and you're 40 feet out, that's not going in. The goalie is going to stop oh. it. We have to find a way to get better shots. Think of the Canucks PK, not necessarily this year, but the years before. The years before when it was dreadful, how many cross seam passes yeah. would they allow yeah. that ended up behind you know whoever it was who was unlucky enough to be in goal for the Canucks that night? Yeah, you're 100%. trying to catch them in transition is what you're doing. You don't want to shoot when the goalie's set. You want to shoot when they're moving when they're not set. And I think a lot of shooters are just. Really, really good at that. And I think like, quick release. A, I think coaches like have, Philip Perona, quick release. <laughs> <laughs> I think coaches He's have still realized <laughs> that there's limited value in just firing away from anywhere with mm-hmm. with without trying to work it in. Now you still see some teams like that, like Carolina, right? Like Pete DeBoer is famous for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's leaving the game. And the okay, let's try to get a good shot. Let's try to make this goalie work. Put them in a vulnerable yep. position is is way more prevalent now. Can we just talk for a minute about 
all the dreadful hockey that we saw during the dead puck era. Like, there were some oh. elements of the game that I think, I think the games were rougher, more violent. You had the more rivalries, you know, you had Red Wings abs and, mm-hmm. and you did, and you did have that element that sometimes I wish we had more of in today's game, but what was that Stanley Cup final? Well, I, w- between... I was watching a, a mid '90s clip on Twitter the other day of uh, of Lemieux and Yager just passing it around in the zone, and like literally the entire shift, someone was either slashing them, yeah, yeah. hooking them. Two, yeah. they were like dra- like Yager was like dragging two guys with him. Like it was like every three seconds there was a penalty that could have mm-hmm. been called in today's NHL. Like, I don't know how guys played like that. It was brutal. Like the year before um, the lockout was. Or one of the years before the lockout, I think it might have been maybe two years before the lockout, when the Canucks choked against the Minnesota Wild, and then the Wild lost to the Ducks, and then the Ducks went to the Stanley Cup final against was it New Jersey? Like yeah. that was dreadfully boring hockey. It was terrible, and that the Wild were able to left wing lock their way to the Stanley Cup final with that passive defensive. And no one could break it, you know. That was, or however far they got the Western there, Conference, semi, Western final. Conference yeah. final. You know, like that was, it was, it was terrible hockey. And something had to be done about it, and something was done about it. But I think what's funny and almost ironic is like, I the rule changes definitely had something to do with it. You know, like Adog said, if you go back and watch '80s or '90s hockey. You know, there's hooking and holding on every play, and it's just expected. I remember when a hooking penalty was like, well, if the guy falls down, maybe you'll yeah. give him hooking, but you won't give him hooking if you just hook his arm back, like just take a little, like, whoop, on, on his arm. You have to take a chunk out of yeah, him you, while you, you, you actually him. you actually had to give him, like, hip resurfacing surgery on the ice in order to get called for hooking. But now, you know, if, if you tug at uh, an arm that's, you know, Honestly, like guaranteed, you, you, you're, you're going to get a penalty. So that is different. But I think it's more about the evolution of the shooters and maybe some more willingness by NHL teams to get undersized players like a Quinn Hughes into the lineup who I don't know where Quinn Hughes would have been drafted 25, oh, 30 years ago, but it would have been like, this guy's a real project. Yep. Like, maybe he'll get in there. You know, there were undersized offensive defensemen, guys like Phil Housley in the league, and, you know, like they did play, but Quinn Hughes, even compared to Phil Housley, is pretty skinny and pretty small. Mm-hmm. So I think it's mostly been an evolution within the rules of the game that occurred that didn't need a lot of outside and i i just didn't see it coming that, no and, well, I, it, and i think it's great for the game i still want more rivalries i still want the players to kind of like dislike each other a little bit more but the 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 level of goal scoring the fact that we can talk about well could matthews or any other player could we do 50 and 50 again yep. You know, is any other place, could McDavid, ah, I mean, maybe it's pushing it. Could he reach 200 points? We've had defensemen at 100 points. Like, I think it's it's great for the game. Um, it makes the games more entertaining. Um, we got to go for a quick break. Uh, we'll come back and talk to Kristen Shilton. There might be a little more Leafs talk, but don't worry, we'll get into some other stories 
uh, about the NHL. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. side for Matthews. Back to the blue line again. Got it back from Lilligren. Shot it, but they score! Bertuzzi in front of the net, but it's Austin Matthews who will celebrate number 5-0! Welcome back to Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in here for Mike Halford. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid 1170 Powell Street. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your What We Learn submissions in. A pair of tickets to the Canucks and the Penguins coming up on Tuesday the 27th up for grabs for the best What We Learn. So text in, include the ticket emoji. Uh, we will announce the winner at 8.30. But before we get to that, uh, time to talk a little hockey. Joining us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, it is Kristen Shilton from ESPN. Kristen, thank you for doing this. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? We're doing well. So uh, we just played the call coming in. Austin Matthews gets to 50 and then 51 uh, and 54. And, you know, before we get into some of the least specific stuff around that and, and the Matthews, Earlier in the show, Bruff and I were talking about just the explosion of scoring we've seen in the NHL over the last several seasons. Shooting percentages are down. You know, Matthews is doing this. We saw what Connor McDavid did last year. What do you think is driving the incredible explosion in offense we've seen recently? Uh, well, you've got some really talented, competitive guys. That's probably uh, the first thing is that I think, um, you know, for a lot of these players, when they see one, you know, opponent who is really raising the bar and being more creative and finding ways to score more often, you know, they want to be in that mix too. And I do think that that is a, a motivation as well as just the, the amount of research that these players do, the videos that they watch, the, the preparation that they make uh, for every goaltender that they're going to be facing. Um, it really probably goes beyond what the average fan even thinks um, because they do want, you know, these these top-tier guys, they really do want to be the very best. And I do think that um, that competition factor comes into play in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of energy they put into perfecting their offensive game. But then also it's, you know, especially at this point in the year, I mean, teams have been playing so often and you have a, just a better sense, I think, of what to expect um, every night and and from you know there's great goaltenders in this league and there's great d-man in this league but for these shooters there's just such a, a premium on being amongst the very best and I, I really think that's what drives a lot of them to find new ways creative new ways um, to continue putting pucks in the net and also if we're just talking about Matthews as an example the more his defensive game has improved the better I feel like he's gotten offensively and the more consistent he's been. And that's the cliche coaches always say starts with defense and that creates more offense. But I do think that for a lot of these players, as they get into, you know, their mid to late twenties, later into their, you know, careers, 
or I shouldn't say later into their careers, but past that early stage, they do understand the importance of defense creating those offensive opportunities. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And if he keeps this pace up or anything close to it, uh, he's going to be a very strong contender for the Hart Trophy at the end of the year. Is this a better? Is it a better product? This high-scoring version of the game, in your eyes, than some of the you know the lower-scoring versions of NHL hockey that we've seen in the past? Oh, you know, it's so tough to say because I do think that there's you know benefits to both. I think that both can be enjoyable. There's nothing like a, a really good two-one nail biter where you know it's last seconds. I think that's great, but truly, from a you know fan perspective from an excessive standpoint, I think the high scoring is better because it just it allows I think for even a more casual hockey fan to enjoy the game as opposed to like someone who's really dialed in the X's and O's might really like those scoring games because there's maybe more strategy specifically involved in how you hold on to, you know, a one goal lead for, you know, much of a sixty minute game. Whereas you know, high flying, like five goals, six goals, like that for someone who's just casually watching the game or who isn't as necessarily, you know, aligned with an every single night, you know, hockey watching schedule. That's where I think you can draw in more people to the game. And it does make it more exciting. It makes it just um, something where, you know, the average fan wants to see goals, like they want to see um, offense and they, they want the, the celebrations and they want, um, you know, and a high scoring game can be exciting too, really. It can be nerve wracking too. It can be, you know, if it's six five, you know, you, you want to obviously watch that to the end and see if a team can hold on. So I, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that both are good for the game. But if, if you're talking from an excitement standpoint, I don't think anything's better than goals. And uh, the more goals, the better if you're trying to, uh, I think, bring people into the game and just stop the stadium series over the weekend you see how that that rangers islanders game pans out and i mean that was pretty exciting and you could tell that, uh, that fans were loving it so there's definitely something to be said for the high school uh kristen we're just having some problems with your phone connection we're going to drop you and give you a call back here momentarily kristen shilton from espn joining us uh, on the phone here we'll get her back on in a second, uh, we got a great text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. What's crazy about Matthews scoring 51 in 54 games is back in the 2016-17 season, which wasn't that long ago. Nope, and not what you think of as the dead puck era either. It's no. a wild thing. Crosby won the Rocket Richard Trophy with 44 goals in 75 games. Yeah, I was looking back on that 2002-2003 season to mm-hmm. see. Who scored the most goals? There was one player that hit 50. It was right on the head, 50 goals. And it was an old friend of the Vancouver Canucks, Milan Hayduk. And the funny thing is he scored 30 of those goals against the Canucks that season. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, he was always scoring against the Canucks. But 50 goals turned into like a serious accomplishment in the NHL. And now it's still a great accomplishment. Don't get me wrong, but um, it's not quite what it used to be um Kristen how do how much do you think this um we can call it point inflation or goal inflation in the NHL complicates contract negotiations like Elias Pettersson has a big one coming up uh hopefully with the Vancouver Canucks um and he might have the case to be made that he's a back-to-back hundred point guy but 
Will the Canucks? The Canucks are obviously going to push back and say, "Well, yeah, 100 points isn't what it used to be, though." Yeah, I think that's a great point, and it seems like there's also a divide now between: Are you a hundred point playmaker or are you a hundred point goal scorer? And there's a difference in that, you know, negotiation. It seems like as well, it's something that comes up a lot here in Toronto about, you know, what will Mitch Marner's contract, uh, his next one look like compared to, you know, what Austin Matthews got. Um, Cause they're obviously two very different players, but could, you know, they can both obviously put up points. So when it comes, you know, to the negotiating factor, it really, I think it depends probably on what the, the team values the most. Like, are they looking for guys that they feel like can be consistent goal score like obviously you want consistent goal scores but that's not easy to beat right like it's it's not easy to um it's one thing to put up a six uh every night or most points but to actually bring pucks in the net night after night the way that we see some of these very top tier players do i mean that's a unique unique skill set and it might even be one that's becoming um just even more coveted and and something that players can use um to their advantage even more so in, uh, in these contract negotiations, but that doesn't diminish also, you know, if you're in a guy, if you're in a and you're thinking, you know, I'm going to be a guy who is 100 plus points. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be, you know, what it is. And it's, it's going to be, you know, primarily assists. It's going to be a lot of, it's going to be more playmaking and goal scoring, whatever, um, whatever that looks like for him. That's still such a valuable player because he's so smart and he's a great two way guy. He was getting a lot of selkie attention as well this season because of the 200-foot game. So uh, there's there's different factors that go into it, but I think from a pure goal-scoring perspective, if this is the trend that the league is going towards where it's going to be high-scoring, then absolutely it's an advantage for these guys who put the work in to be every night scoring goals and making that difference for their team. I, I really do think they can use that as leverage uh, going forward in some of these bigger contract negotiations. So, Kristen, you covered Kyle Dubas in Toronto for a number of years now. He's in Pittsburgh. Uh, What do you think of the challenge that's facing Kyle Dubas? Because he spoke to the media, I believe, yesterday and said, well, the one thing that's obvious is we need to get younger. We are the oldest team in the NHL. But the other message that came from Kyle Dubas is we also want to remain competitive as long as we've got guys like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and Eric Carlson on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I chuckled a little when Dubas said, you know, it's obvious we've got to get younger because I'm like, yeah, you just pulled off like a blockbuster trade for, you know, a defenseman in his 30s, though. Like, it's you just took on Carlson, right? Like, and so you, you make, you think you're making the team better, but you're also playing into sort of the age of the team at the same time. And you're hoping that you're going to get the best, um, you know, final push that the Crosby, Malkin, Carlson that they have. But I mean, even just as we're talking about the, you know, the goal scoring in the league and the uptick in that, it's also the speed of the game, right? And the, the problem with the Penguins is that they just can't keep up. You watch them and it's not that their players aren't smart. It's not that they don't have, the drive and that level of competitiveness. It's just that you have to be fast enough to um, compete with these teams off the rush. And you've got to be able to, you know, they had a, a stretch there in Pittsburgh where they were playing more physically around the net. And for a couple games that worked for them, it was a, it was a good strategy, but it doesn't last because these, the younger teams, the faster teams, that's becoming the norm as opposed to the exception. So I thought that what, you know, Duba said yesterday about, how, you know, 
just have to kind of earn it still at this point. And then what they do between now and the deadline will really indicate the direction that he goes. Like if the players still believe that they can get into a wild card spot here, that they can make the playoffs, then they've got to prove it in the next two-ish weeks. And if not, then Dubas has to do what's best for the long-term future of this team. He said nothing's off the table. I've heard him say that before, certainly in Toronto, and he has made moves. He has made decisions at deadline that, you know, I don't know that any of them have been especially impactful in Toronto, but at the same time, how often does a team buy at the deadline and have it really be a game-changing, cup-winning you know, kind of move, right? Like it's by that point, you've only got a month of the regular season left. There's not a ton of runway. If it's going to work for Pittsburgh, it's going to work because of the guys that are already there. And it really just comes from, do they have that in them? And if Jake Gensel doesn't get traded and he comes back healthy, he makes a difference for them down the stretch as well. I don't know. What happens to Mike Sullivan, though, if they don't make playoffs? What happens, you know, with Dubas' direction? for this team in, you know, come Margie, if they're not in a playoff position, like it's, it really does feel like they're at a crossroads that is going to arrived at officially by trade deadline, because whatever way Dubas goes, it's going to tell all of us what he feels about this team and not just its present, but very much about its future. And if there's a, you know, do you want to use the R word? Do you want to say rebuild is, or is it just a retool? I guess we'll see. Kristen, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much, guys. That is Kristen Shilton covering the NHL for ESPN, ESPN weighing in on uh, Kyle Dubas and what the Pens might do. I'm just surprised that Dubas has let it get to this point and not done anything earlier in the season. Because coming in, you make the Carlson trade. You still have Crosby. You still have Malkin, Gensel, etc. You obviously want – you see yourself as a potential Stanley Cup contender. Yeah. And now it feels like it's too late. They've they've got too much ground to cover. It's What are you going to do at this point? You know really what's going to turn your season around? You know what stuck out to me about what Kyle Dubas said is he said – um, normally I'm not a guy that just likes to make a trade for the sake of a trade. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in shaking up the team. Jim Rutherford did. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. and, and it's funny, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that you should um, make a trade just to make a trade and lose that trade. Just as you know, back that's in the, fun back, too, though. Sometimes back in the day, the guys were like ah, you know, before the salary cap and when yep. making trades was easy, it'd be like ah, this guy had a bad practice. I, I'm sick of him. He's, get out of here. Get out of here, right? Or they'd have like a blow up in the hallway or something like that. And you're like, I'm trading you tomorrow, right? And 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 he would, you know, that's just the way the league was run. It was run a little more. On emotion, or the now. owner's buddy would say, "Hey, I don't like this guy. Can you trade him for me?" And they would actually do it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was a different league, but um, I still think there's something to be said for shaking up a team that and just moving guys in and out. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for churn of a team, especially a team like Pittsburgh that probably needs. Like, I mean, well, I guess they did get Eric Carlson in a trade, so that's a bit of a shakeup, but. Sometimes you just like you need fresh legs. You need just something to wake you up because they've also had the same coach for a long, long thing. time. And you're probably not firing Mike Sullivan in season. That's I. I would think that would be tough for a new GM to come in and do. Mm-hmm. So if that's off the table, because we see that over and over, that has results. Like I feel bad saying it for NHL coaches, yeah, but you can does. be a really good coach, get fired in the middle of the season. 
and it almost doesn't matter who's coming in. Your team is probably going to improve and get better, right? Mm. Like, like we see it all the time. It's happened to it's the happened Penguins. To, <laughs> yeah, it's happened to the Penguins. But there's the, the strange thing was there's just no sense of urgency, right? Because I can see if you are like, hey, we were going in expecting to be a playoff bubble team, and we are. So that's all right. We don't have to do something to to you know switch things up. We can just stick with the plan and and you know keep our powder dry for next year. But again, the Penguins like they should have been looking at this as a chance to win another Stanley Cup mm-hmm. with Sidney Crosby. That means you have to act urgently. You have to be willing to take risks. And there's just been none of that whatsoever after the Eric Carlson trade. And each year that ticks off makes it even harder. Yeah. Because the old guys get one year older. Mm-hmm. And watching Malkin these days, you know, you can still see those flashes of brilliance. And you can still see those flashes of dominance. But he's nowhere close to the player he used to be. And Sid's having a great season, but... No, even you never Sid know how long it's going to slow last. down. Yeah, I mean, look, and... at, look at how Ovi played for the first half yeah. of this year, right? I know he's he's mm-hmm. on a tear now, mm-hmm. but you never know when that's going to hit Sid also. Um, so we do have an open segment on the other side of the show. Uh, feel free to text into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Butis in Vancouver, online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com. Ian Furness is joining us in uh, about 40 minutes time so we can preview the Kraken, talk about the Kraken and maybe some other Seattle sports stories. Uh, I don't think we've talked to anyone on this show about the Seahawks coaching changes so we can get yep. into the Seahawks coaching changes, maybe the future of Geno Smith um, and maybe even a little Mariners talk if we get desperate. Uh, I, I actually wanted to talk to you guys about the Blue Jays, uh, you and Laddie, yeah. um, maybe a little bit later in the show, just about, or we can Woo-hoo! do the next segment, just about what you guys are expecting coming into this season, what guys like Bichette and Guerrero are saying ahead of this season in Toronto, um, because I always enjoy Laddie's optimism quickly turning to like, oh, maybe this won't be the year for the Blue Jays after all. Maybe you're the same way, Dodd. Um we can also talk about the Canucks and what we expect to see from them tonight. Um, the NHL to Houston yeah, is picking up steam. And according to Frank Saravalli, Noah Hannafin has a preferred destination, and it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. So how does that affect what the Flames can get for him? Would the Lightning be interested in Noah Hannafin. Is that something that's going to happen? Could it happen now? Is it more likely to happen in the offseason? There is a lot of NHL news and notes out there. Plus, we have a Canucks game tonight, so there's no shortage of things to talk about. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.